earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today's part seven in the series, This Means War, and we're continuing our sober look at spiritual warfare. Also, keep in mind that the podcasts are accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Today's title is Wield Your Shield as we continue to expand on the believer's weaponry in Ephesians 6 as elaborated on by Paul. And particularly after mentioning the first three pieces of armor, he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Before we unpack this passage, I'd like to share an incident that occurred in the former Soviet Union where Christ followers gathered one Sunday in small groups at a house church to not arouse suspicion by KGB informers. They began their service quietly with a hymn, but suddenly two soldiers barged in with guns, pointing them at the group, forcing them up against a wall. One soldier shouted, If you wish to renounce your commitment to Christ, leave now. A few did rush out, then another, and right after that, two more fled. This is your last chance, the soldier warned the group. Either turn against your faith in Christ, or stay and suffer the consequences. Well, two more then slipped out. After that, no one moved. Parents with children began trembling beside them, fully expecting to be shot on the spot or hauled off to prison. The second soldier then closed the door and gazed at those remaining. He said, keep your hands up, but this time in praise to our Lord Jesus Christ. We too are Christ followers. We were sent to another house church a few weeks ago to arrest a group of believers. The other soldier chimed in, but instead we were converted. But we've also learned by experience that unless people are willing to die for their faith, they cannot be fully trusted. Whoa, friends, I hope you didn't just think to yourselves, yeah, but that was in the Soviet Union. We live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Friends, I can only speak for myself here, but my honest, heartfelt desire is that my faith will be enabled by the Lord's mighty power so I could stand my ground if a day of evil like that should ever come. And we are taking a sober look at spiritual warfare. I'm fast coming to the conclusion that one of the schemes of our enemy, Satan, is to lull Christians away from a sense of urgency and lull us away from a real awareness that we're engaged in a conflict, a battle, a war. Ephesians 6 clearly shows that Paul acknowledges evil as a proactive force, challenging us to be ready at all times to fight against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against evil spirits in the heavenly realm. 
I'm curious, friends, have you ever quietly dozed off during a church service and your spouse or a family member poked you and whispered, stay awake, stay awake? Well, that's the very idea Paul is hinting at in Ephesians 6 when he pokes and prods us with his words, be alert and always keep on praying in verse 18. I find it interesting that of the four words in the Greek language for sleep, Paul chose the word for alert that means without sleep, sleep being the word hoopnos. What English word do you think comes from hoopnos? Well, it's hypnotize. And rather than choosing a word that just means lie down, rest, or sleep, Paul prefers a word that figuratively means spiritual slumber, spiritual lethargy, apathy, if you will. A modern-day equivalent to Paul's expression in verse 18 might be, Brothers and sisters, don't let the devil hypnotize you into spiritual apathy. We're at war. Stay awake. Stay alert. Friends, this idea is reinforced by the repetition of this word in Romans thirteen eleven through 14, which says, Understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves or put on as your warfare wardrobe the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's why, friends, I'm convinced that we Christ followers need periodic prodding into realizing that we're in a war zone. We're behind enemy lines. We're not home yet. Right now we have dual citizenship, as Paul said to the Philippians, and we mustn't forget that. As humans, we have temporary citizenship on earth, but as Christ followers, our permanent citizenship is in heaven. The former founding editor of Christianity Today magazine and former lecturer at large for World Vision, theologian Carl Henry, wrote in 1947, The battle against evil in all its forms must be pressed unsparingly. We must pursue the enemy in politics, economics, science, ethics, everywhere, in every field. We must pursue relentlessly. But when we have singled out the enemy, when we have disentangled him from those whose company he has kept and whom he has misled, we must meet that foe head on, girded or clothed in the gospel armor. Well, friends, let's take another look at that gospel armor through the lens of Paul's words in Ephesians six, ten through 20 from another respected translation. Finally, let the mighty strength of the Lord make you strong. Put on all the armor that God gives. And as you know, I like to call it the warfare wardrobe. So you can defend yourself against the devil's tricks. We are not fighting against humans. We're fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and spiritual powers in the heavens above. So put on all the armor that God gives. Then when the evil day comes, you'll be able to defend yourself 
and when the battle is over, you'll stand. Be standing firm. Be ready. Let the truth be like a belt around your waist, and let God's justice or righteousness protect you like armor. Your desire to tell the good news about peace should be like shoes on your feet. Let your faith be like a shield, and you will be able to stop all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let God's saving power be like a helmet, and for a sword, use God's message that comes from the Spirit. Never stop praying, especially for others. Always pray by the power of the Spirit. Stay alert and keep praying for God's people. Pray that I will be given the message to speak and that I may fearlessly explain the mystery about the good news. I was sent to do this work, and that's the reason I'm in jail. So pray that I'll be brave and will speak as I should. Friends, today we'll focus on verse 16 and why our title, Wield Your Shield. And let's also recall what I've shared previously in regard to the order Paul chose to list the pieces of armor. Chances are he's sitting and in leg stocks. Being low, he might look first at the soldier's feet. In other words, from the bottom up. Or he might look at the soldier's head. In other words, from the top down. But I propose that the Holy Spirit directed Paul's gaze to the center of the soldier's body first, to his waist. Remember now, Paul was not just interested in elaborating on the physical pieces of armor, but rather on drawing a spiritual parallel, and thereby teaching a spiritual truth. And so, we observe that Paul first selected the belt of truth. I feel bad I have to say this, friends, but many Christ followers fail to realize that our Judeo-Christian faith stands or falls on whether or not there's absolute truth. Friends, we must battle for absolute truth in a world marked by absolute confusion and error. Second, Paul selects the breastplate of righteousness. It's time we recognize the most significant distinction between us human beings and the God we profess to believe in. It's time we allow some scripture portions to infiltrate our thinking and take root, like 1 Peter 1, 14-16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Scripture records that the distinction is holiness. You see, friends, the truth of the gospel is that we humans fell through disobedience and became sinners. Now there's a taboo word for today, even in some churches. It was sin that separated us, divorced us from a holy God, according to Isaiah 59.2. And not surprisingly, this idea is brought forward into the New Testament in Ephesians. Ephesians 2 opens with, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Friends, the scriptures clearly outline that righteousness can only be restored by us putting on Christ through a new birth and then living under his power through the Holy Spirit. 
And let's not fool ourselves by thinking we can settle for just being religious. The Bible uses the word zeal. In Romans 10, it's apparent that Paul is burdened for his own people, the Jews, and in particular, the religious Jews. Just listen to his heart cry. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, for I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They didn't know the righteousness of God, so they sought to establish their own, and so did not submit to God's righteousness. The Messiah is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who places their faith and trust in Messiah. The new birth, then, which brings peace with God, entitles us to share the gospel of peace with others. And we do this with feet that have been readied or prepared for the task. And this brings us to the shield of faith. Friends, it's high time we all face the fact that every Christian is born again to be a warrior. It's high time we accept the fact that, as Christ followers, it's our destiny to be assaulted, and it's our duty to be attackers. Let's wake up, friends, and face the reality that part of our lives will be occupied with defensive warfare. Yes, we will have to resist the devil and his demonic army of minions. Yes, we will have to take a stand against the devil's schemes. But just standing our ground won't be enough. We will have to advance forward if we're going to be effective warriors for Christ. We cannot just function in defensive mode. We will have to go on the offensive Last time we learned that the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the feet prepared to share the gospel of peace form a triplet. Well, today's look at the shield of faith introduces us to another triplet, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Paul tells us that we wield our shield for a particular purpose. That purpose being so we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And once again, friends, we have to put on first century sandals to understand the metaphor Paul uses and the spiritual symbolism here. First century Roman soldiers had a variety of shields in their arsenal, but two were most often used. The first was a small, round shield, usually two feet or so in diameter. It was fairly lightweight and most often used to cushion the blow of an opponent's sword during hand-to-hand -hand combat. The second shield, called a phyros in Greek, was the shield Paul refers to in Ephesians 6.16. Phyros means door in Greek, so it was shaped like a door. It was generally two and a half feet wide by four and a half feet high, designed to protect the soldier's entire body. This door-like shield was generally made of wood, which was then covered with either metal or well-oiled leather, so it wouldn't dry out. In Roman military tactics, those soldiers with this shield would walk or stand close together on the front lines, forming a wall. This formation was called a phalanx. Behind this phalanx would be the archers who shot their arrows, being protected by the interlocking shields in front of them. 
both opposing armies would use fiery arrows, arrows whose tips were wrapped in cloth, soaked in tar or pitch, and set on fire. The tactic was to shoot these arrows into the opposing army, to set their shields or clothes on fire. When a soldier's shield caught fire, he'd have to throw it down, because it left him defenseless. In addition, the burning pitch would spatter for up to several feet and ignite everything flammable it landed on, including clothes and gear. The Romans enhanced their shield's protective ability by soaking the leather coating in water before a battle. This way, the well-soaked leather would extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy on impact with the shield. Can't you just hear it? Friends, I'm guessing you're already making the connection in your minds to the spiritual parallel here. So let's unpack this tremendous truth, okay? First and foremost, I want us all to see that faith puts God between us and our enemy, the devil. And only our shield of faith will extinguish every one of Satan's evil efforts to destroy us. Only our shield of faith can ward off his arrows of temptation and put out his fires that would ruin us. Friends, only absolute faith, trust, and allegiance to Jesus Christ, our commanding officer, will act as a shield to extinguish those fiery arrows of our opposing enemy, the devil. The shield of faith, then, as a metaphor, signifies for us utter dependence on God, dependence on His presence and power. This is beautifully illustrated in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And in 1 John 5, 4, this is distilled down to one sentence. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And the world here, I believe, includes a world that has been taken over by our enemy, the devil. And my take on the devil's arrows is that it seems best to parallel them to temptations in the believer's life. Satan and his demonic forces are relentless in bombarding us with temptations that have as their ultimate goal to get us to forsake or retreat from our faith and trust in God. Friends, I believe Satan's first fiery arrow was shot at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to get them to forsake God's word with his carefully crafted question, Has God said? In Genesis 3.1, his strategy was to get them to transfer their faith and trust over to his lies, in effect, to distrust God. Another of his fiery arrows was shot at Jesus just before his public ministry got underway. You remember those three temptations in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, don't you? Satan's strategy was exactly the same here. Tempt the Son of God to distrust his Father. First, to distrust his provision. Second, to distrust his protection. And third, to distrust his plan. Friends, it's high time we realize that those temptations to sin, especially those we find ourselves justifying, lower God's character and elevate Satan's. 
it's high time we realize that sinning causes us to side with Satan, but living righteously causes us to side with God and trust or believe him. Our faith or our trust in God becomes the shield that protects us. Intentionally taking up the shield of faith is the only way, friends, to extinguish the fiery hours of the arrows of the enemy, the devil. Then and only then will we be able to stand firm and resist the devil in the evil day. Because we're now supernaturally enabled by the armor of God that he supplies. And in today's case, the piece of armor called the shield of faith. Wise counsel from the book of Proverbs tells us, Every word of God proves true. In other words, is truthful. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. In other words, his shielding power. Do not add to his words like Satan did to Eve, or he will rebuke you and you'll be found a liar. This truth is reiterated in Psalm 1830. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. Friends, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I've noticed that there's a unique connection between God being a shield and his word. This made me recall Jesus' battle with Satan and his temptation in the wilderness, as recorded in Matthew 4. I'm positive you remember the way Jesus responded. Let's briefly review this defensive posture during that assault. In temptation number one, the devil says to Jesus, Since you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Remember, Jesus had just come through 40 days of fasting, and he was hungry. But Jesus responds with, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. And I'll propose, friends, that God's word shielded Jesus from giving in to the devil's lure. In temptation number two, the devil takes Jesus to the holy city and has him stand on the highest point of the temple saying, Since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, He, God, will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you don't strike your foot against the stone. Now, friends, if there's one thing we learn from temptation number two, it's that the devil is very adept at quoting scripture. But this account also reveals to us that the devil twists scripture to his own advantage. This quote is from Psalm 91, but the devil quotes it incorrectly in order to suit his purposes. What does that tell us, friends? That we better arm ourselves with the armor of God's word, know it well, and use it to counter and refute the devil's ploys against us. We'll surely elaborate on this when we get to the sword of the spirit. Well, Jesus responds to the ploy of temptation number two with, It's also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. Finally, in temptation number three, the devil takes Jesus to a high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, saying, All this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus' final rebuttal comes from the word of God. Away from me, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. Isn't it interesting, friends, that the shield of faith is dynamically connected to the word of God? 
Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word or message of Christ. Friends, I can't stress enough how important the shield of faith is to our defense against the devil, and how important the faith connection is to the word of God. Amen? Amen. Well, friends, I can see we're nearing the end of our program. Today's broadcast closes with an email where you may write me and share your feedback. A listener recently wrote in regarding Part 4, Truth or Consequences, with, Spiritual warfare is a never-ending battle as the devil continually tries to plant seeds of lies. Putting on the armor of Christ will keep us strong. Thanks for the great reminder. Well, thank you for your encouraging words. And remember, friends, podcasts of A Word from the Word are accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Feel free to share these podcasts with others who may be touched, blessed, or even challenged by these teachings. And please keep in mind, friends, that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. If it's blessing you, please become part of the support team especially now during these challenging economic times. Your faithful support helps keep this program on the air. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com